Welcome to Tales from the Tables with your hosts, Rob Bradley, John Charles Ceccarelli, and James Burroughs. Hello, everyone, and welcome to episode 14 of Tales from the Tables. Ooh. Woo! 14. 14. Yeah, man. Starring a, a brand new intro. That was that was sexy. Yeah, <laughs> not bad, eh? Not bad. So welcome, uh, JC, James. Nice to see you guys. Yeah. Yeah. Lovely uh, to be likewise. Back. Yeah, both had a good week? Yeah. Yeah. Not yeah. too bad. Can't complain. I mean, I could, but who's going to listen? Yeah, right. <laughs> did, you say, did you say you got the man flu, James? I, I did have, I do have the man flu. I've, oh, I feel a lot better man. today, but it's just occasionally. Uh, so if I start sneezing uncontrollably on the podcast, you, you know why. Now I've said sneezing yes. and my nose feels weird. Yeah, now you can start <laughs> ah, so you jinxed it. You were Sorry. fine up until this I was, moment. I was now. fine, yeah. <laughs> just hover just hover that mouse over the mute button. That's all you've got to do. Just yeah, hover it around right. and then just like <laughs> every now and again, mute. You're telling He's me our listeners like, don't, like, don't want to hear me bodily sounds, sneeze. <laughs> right. Unless it sounds that cute. If it's achoo, then you please yeah, right. we'll leave it in. What we'll if say it we'll edit it out in post and then it never happens. <laughs> what, yeah. what if it's very dramatic and loud? Like, I don't true. Oh, well, like... what, what, uh, what's, what sneezes do you guys do? What's your, what's your go-to sneeze when you sneeze? What would you do? Um, I think mine's quite a delicate sneeze usually yeah <laughs> i try and hold it back no that's the problem can you, can you and give then... us a rendition of your sneeze oh i couldn't possibly um come on, <laughs> come on. it's quite it's quite a soft to sort of let's like... hear it <laughs> i'm sorry what'd you say <laughs> exactly so i'm not laughing at the actual sneeze i'm just laughing at your impression right? of the sneeze it's great <laughs> And, J- and JC, what about you? I don't know what mine. So I think mine just breaks decibels. Like I think it's it's not like a particularly manly sneeze or anything like that. It's just very loud, as I tend to be. So it's it, at least it's not my dad's sneeze. My dad's sneeze sounds like he's singing a snippet of an opera aria every time that he he does it. He's like. <laughs> <laughs> and i'm like oh <laughs> jesus <laughs> uh i think i think you you your dad and i might have something in common there because i'm a bit like whenever i sneeze it's like i'm just i feel like i'm trying to get everything out so i'm just like uh, and i say and i say a chew when i do it as well i go like i make a, I make a point of making that sound amazing like well maniac. all three of us have never appeared more attractive <laughs> there we go Come check out this podcast where we pretend to sneeze. Faces for radio. (laughs) Yep. (laughs) That's right. That's what they say. I've got the hair for radio for sure. Yeah, Yeah, right. So so you guys have had two, two, uh, well, a new game each this week, haven't you? Yes. Yeah, very fun. Cool. Hectarium Games. Sweet. Been very, very fun. Yeah. Enjoy them. Yeah. 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 Yeah, Yeah, It's a great group. Yeah. So we had two separate groups. I had mm-hmm. what they call the experience group on Monday, and James, you had them on Wednesday, right? Yes, the, I had the, the, the guys who, who, yeah, beginner group hadn't really played D&D before. Right so, what did you do? What did you take them through? Uh, I did a, a heist. So they were robbing uh, the Natural History Museum, uh, essentially, um, of nice. an eldritch, eldritch egg that was about to hatch. So Oh, cool. Um, yeah, so they, had, they were on a timer, um, quite a short timer, as it turned out. So they quickly attended a gala and then sort of scouted the place out and then decided how they were going to attempt to steal this heavily guarded stone um sweet love that classic 
Um, classic shenanigans, classic high stuff, I'm sure. Yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah. Right. Nice. And did it all come through in the end? Yeah, yeah. They got out um, with already some minor collateral damage. <laughs> they really? Oh, yeah. no. <laughs> That's a tail. That's for that's for the tales for the table bit of the episode. Oh right, 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 right. Fair enough. Yeah, I'll I'll save mine for that segment as well. But they were a lovely group. Um, honestly, they worked so well as a team. Um, each of them kind of knew each other, and it immediately because they had sort of been planning their characters together, they kind of knew their strengths and their weaknesses. And um, they obviously being fantasy game developers, they also were familiar with traditional you know uh roles in a party like ah you're the healer and you're this but they always found a way to sort of turn that on its head so for instance i know our our fighter um everybody mistook him for a wizard because he appeared and that was his that was the point the player who who made him chose this art of this very gandalf looking figure big gray beard holding oh, a quarterstaff yeah. and then when he described himself jumping into the air to bring the staff down uh, with a crack on the knoll's jaw and stuff like that it, it was really epic and people were like oh you don't have magic okay all right so we're going to uh, all right this is great you're a fighter you are a tank so it was it was a lot of fun yeah brilliant cool yeah it's uh it's always good isn't it with a new group what do you what do you guys find is like the biggest learning curve when you have a new group that you're dealing with mm. i think it's um sort of the getting them to open up and sort of act in their yeah. in their characters get what their what their characters yeah. would do and, and get that which i think the the heist um that i ran was very good because you didn't then have to throw them into combat and like right away they got mm. like a bit of time to do social interaction stuff before they needed to to do any fighting it sort of let them sort of slowly get into into the character because everyone did really really well there was um a great uh owlin um rogue um <laughs> that had a my group who just immediately everyone was ordering drinks at the bar so that's one of the first things that we i started <laughs> classically in a tavern yeah, um <laughs> i just yeah. just like have the bartender take their drinks orders get them to think about sort of what would their character be drinking and the owl and just straight in was just like yeah can i do you have any bugs that I could eat? Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, yeah, the bartender was like, oh, "Actually, I've got some rats in a rat trap out the back. If you if you don't want something a bit more substantial." <laughs> <laughs> so uh, he there was a really grotty pub. So they pulled these rats out of the traps at the back. They're covered in this sticky glue. We're like, oh, "I hope this is all right for you, Mister Owl." Uh, and he ate them. So <laughs> that's brilliant. That's brilliant. <laughs> Um, uh, that's that's funny that you mentioned owlin because one of the sticking points was when i sent the instructions to this party to make their characters i was like anything is good use any class any race you want the only exceptions are anything that has a natural flight speed so aracocra owlin wing tieflings just avoid making those because they can kind of um you know be a little unbalanced at early levels if we're going to make a whole campaign out of this and they one of the one of the players latched onto that and they were like oh my god flight must be important so now i'm going to try and find ways to break the game and and figure out a way to make this work and i was like oh, it, it's it's not about that it's it's about you know there's literally just a couple of things in the very beginning where flight can be a little a little much but i'll always adjust like if you're trying to break my game i'll, I'll break the game back i'll put you all <laughs> underground and suddenly we're exploring tight tunnels in the underdark for 16 levels don't you worry yeah, right. <laughs> but um Fly but yeah now. it's funny so i'm sure they're jealous i'm sure if they're listening and th- that group here is they'll be like 
James allowed an owl in his group? Oh, I want oh, him. Yeah, He's cool. Yeah. He's cooler. <laughs> yeah, right. So. I'll regret it in a, in a couple of sessions' time or whatever when they're doing a heist, and I'm like, oh, they've just bypassed all the security measures with the, yep. with the flight speed. With the owlin <laughs> who can eat bugs and rats and can fly. You just, have to, you just have to make sure you've got flying stuff that's like, you know, prepared for that. Yeah, just well, put lasers yeah. on the walls. There I've had it before where I've had... Um, uh, temples and stuff that players have been trying to break into and i was like well there's there's razor wire like a lattice of razor wire mm. in the corridor um that's too small to be seen but if you try flying full speed at it it's, it's gonna hurt buddy <laughs> yeah right yeah, you've got to stay on yeah. the ground but the ground is also trapped so good luck yeah, yeah. <laughs> stay on the stay on the walls Ooh, not not working out just for you <laughs> if that is ever a puzzle that any, any any players run into uh if you flood the room um then you can swim between the razor wire <laughs> without setting off oh. any of the traps on the on the bottom floor. That's there that was a way around it. Yeah, cool. um, the room, smart. Yeah, like it might take a, might take a, quite a while with a jug of endless water. Uh, currently, right. yeah, one of those but... to flood a whole hallway. <laughs> yeah, yeah, right. Might be there for a bit, a little bit. But, but DMs, just well, make sure the... the other end's blocked. Like you can mm. seal it. <laughs> exactly. The the thing with mine is, um, it, there's a lot of overland travel at one point and it doesn't necessarily mean that i don't mind people flying over it but um the, you're only as fast as your slowest party member when you're doing overland travel right because yeah sure you can you can fly and scout ahead but that may not it may not get you very far considering you have to wait for the rest of the group and if anything it just is more dangerous it means you run into the problems and the threats first before the rest of your party is there to back you up so yeah all right there's the you have to be wise, I think, as a player who has a fly speed, right? And that's that's the the ticket. You have to know when it's useful and know when it's not. So. And as a DM, you need to be like, okay, my enemies, need, my my monsters, whatever they're facing, needs to have ranged attacks. <laughs> yeah, yeah, ranged attacks or the ability to fly. actually. You know what? Mm. I'm gonna go back and revise that. I'm gonna start encouraging people to make flying characters <laughs> <laughs> just so they can so they can see like, oh, 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 we have to be careful with this. <laughs> Suddenly, they're being picked out of the air with by snipers. <laughs> with well, my favorite my my favorite story about this, and I don't think I've told this one here on the podcast yet is um we were playing tomb of annihilation and the druid in our party who was very much he's a wonderful player love him to pieces haven't haven't seen him in a bit i hope, hope he's doing well um but he thought he was he's very much like the game breaker he's always looking for the way to frustrate the dm a little bit and and make it um <laughs> make it challenging for me so he thought he could bypass a whole section um by summoning eight giant eagles or eight giant owls or whatever it is that you can actually summon with that i think it was owls um and so tomb of annihilation as you know is a jungle is a jungle crawl so you really are there's a lot of encounters on the ground that you might miss if you're just soaring over the canopy mm. but the best part is i was like okay you start flying all of you are on the backs of these these owls and i didn't have to summon a dragon or, or put something there to sort of impede them or challenge them i just described what they saw and i was like okay you're passing over this terrain and you see a shipwreck caught up in the vines and the canopy of these trees and immediately the druid was like oh all right let's soar down to investigate but he didn't think of the fact that it's you know seven party members on seven giant owls <laughs> landing on a precariously balanced broken hull of a ship on top of 
a hundred feet above the forest floor, above the jungle floor. So the minute that that happens, I just start describing, uh, I mean, well, you're landing on the part that's already precariously balanced, so it starts to (laughs) and fall. And in the meantime, that whole encounter, which is in the book, by the way, is meant to be experienced from the ground up. You sort of fight your way up through a couple of things that are like in the trees until you get to what's going on at the top. They did it in reverse. They not only started falling and took bludgeoning damage from all of that, but then the creatures on the forest floor started attacking them while they were prone and stuff. And it was just the most massive lesson of be careful what you do when you try and go against how the game plans it. Like, yes, you can do anything in D and D, and you know a good versatile DM will will adapt to that. But you have to be careful. Don't try and it is a game at the end of the day. Don't try and break the game. Yeah, right. Yeah. So interesting. Do you find oh, there's that, my um, tail from the table. <laughs> <laughs> with with flying then, because you guys both use two two virtual tabletops, um, Roll Twenty mm. and Foundry. Um do you find that like with with flying, how does it compare between the two? Have you can you because I'm I'm guessing obviously with, with Roll Twenty and Foundry mm. it's two D two D, isn't it? So yeah, it's two D. You're looking over the over yeah. it's a top down view. Yeah. So yeah. how do they, so how do those how do those VTTs tackle that? Is there a way or um, so there's a so roll twenty um that which is what I use um you can add like icons to sig- uh, signify conditions and things so there's like a there's a flight one so you can add it mm-hmm. so you can see at a glance oh they are flying and then what I do so I know how high they are there's a number of boxes next to the character and one's for HP one usually gets used for armor class but you can set them to whatever you want um, and then the third one I set to be however if the elevation if, if flying the elevation in feet yep. so yeah, um okay, i got you a little bit beat that's already by default there is a little box on your token <laughs> in foundry that lets you indicate the elevation marker and it is permanent like it doesn't take the place of the ac or hp or anything else mm. it just appears as a little bit of text with a plus or a minus sign depending wow. on whether you're above or below the yeah. the ground yeah. level of your map but that's just for the tokens in terms of like actually flying and such, because it is mostly, you know, 90% of all the maps are still top down, just like you would in, in a table, right? Because yeah. you're not, unless you have those cool plastic stands that elevate your tokens, you're still really looking at stuff from above. So I, I know there's a couple of modules in Foundry or that people like the community has made where they have a kind of isometric view so that gives you a sense of depth more than a 2d tabletop the only problem is of course you have to find the maps that adjust to that right and yeah 99.9 of the maps you're going to see for DD and pathfinder and all of these systems are going to be top-down traditional views but there's a lot of fun stuff you can do with your background. So for instance, if we're having air combat, I love to get a picture or a map of the sky, you know, with clouds and whatnot, and then I set it to loop so it pans and I can change the panning speed as, mm. you know, they. it seems like it's providing motion. This is also useful for ships or for ground chases. When I was yeah. doing Descent into Avernus, I had, um, you know, the biker gangs show up while the the red desert beneath them was panning alongside like this so it looks like they were moving it doesn't add depth but it adds motion which is important cool. while i think you're flying yeah yeah, yeah. Oh, nice 
Nice. Yeah. And then your token just stay day. adapted like that. Uh, you can get a module on Roll20 that allows um, the yeah the uh, the video tabletop like um, mm. images, um, but it is very intensive. I find on a lot of players' computers. Mm. Um, I was going to mm. say, yeah, I was going to say, um, is, it, is it is it is it like if you mod it out to the max, it's going to be like a really yeah well also a little slow but it's not too bad i even with roll 20 i think it depends I think, it really depends on the roll, players computers with roll 20 for the video tabletop stuff you need everyone to have the same add-on so they need to download something for it oh, so it's not great gotcha. for what we do with where we get new groups in uh foundry mm. is better is better for that um it's just a lot it just takes a lot more to set up um in roll yeah. 20 but it is possible um yeah. but yeah i i tend to find because video maps are something that are are good for gen like generic stuff like seas skies and yes the avernus one i've seen it's very cool um but i wouldn't get a lot of use out of them other mm -hmm. than like very occasionally right. um so i'm not too worried about not having those if i run a game in person though uh because i i'll run on a tv as a, as a tabletop um then i will definitely use the cool and there's animate other animated maps as well that i think are very cool mm. where you have like um running water effects and stuff with looping videos yeah. that i think yeah i love those really right cool. yeah but, that really helps add to the immersion you know my what i find is actually the biggest challenge isn't flight or or even moving stuff that kind of you let the players fill in with their imagination um, I find it most challenging on a 2D tabletop, especially a virtual tabletop, I suppose, um, giving off the the sense of largeness or giant size stuff. So case in point, an example, I had a party last week running through a giant fortress, an old abandoned frost giant fortress. And they were in Foundry, you know, they're running through it. And I obviously am providing a lot of verbal description about what they see in these massive 25 foot tall, eight and a half feet wide, two and a half feet thick slabs of ice that serve as doors that they have to roll athletics checks if they're going to try and push open or strength checks, technically, if they're going to try and push or pull open because they're that massive. Luckily, you know, they have a barbarian and a fighter. But what I but they forget it so easily because looking at a 2D tabletop, they just see the little icon of a door that they're like, oh, I'm just going to open this door and see what's in this room because they're so used to crawling through a dungeon like that. And I'm like, yeah, yeah, yeah. But yeah. but it's huge, right? Think of the size of it. Think of how tall yeah. it is. And that's that's the problem. They how much strength, looking yeah. at something like that. You don't really picture a large door. You just see a door because you're looking yeah. at it from above. That is that is tough, I think. Yeah. Um... I think what I, I'm with when it comes to creatures, uh, what I sometimes do is make them a couple of sizes bigger technically than they usually oh, are on the tabletop. All the time, all yeah. the time. Yeah, I'm like this. This dragon <laughs> says it's like huge, but uh, it's going to be bigger than gargantuan would be. So <laughs> yep. Yep. I'm going to make oh, it intimidating. I I easily make my even non-gargantuan creatures. Yeah, just like mm. you, James. I make them so much bigger than they should be because. I think the sense of scale is more important than how many squares it occupies. Yeah, you know? absolutely. I well, I've got the Tarascus. Right. Oh, yeah. Imagine if you got a four by four. That's, this is my biggest gripe with the Tarask. Imagine if you got, if you're following D&D &D vanilla standard 5e rules, imagine if you got a four by four circular token of a Tarask and you plop it down in the middle of, the, of, a, of a city street map and let your mm -hmm. players fight it. It looks so unimpressive. It yeah. looks so boring. 
and the you artwork to for make it that... in the book oh, is great. towering oh, over is, towers it's amazing yeah but it doesn't but, match up with the scale that it then gives all, you in the book. <laughs> right. And it's just and it kind of just looks like a large face. So then they kind of mm. forget that it has this huge lashing tail and mm. you know it they think it's all mouth. So that's why number one, I really like um 3D tokens. I've been in doing a lot of that lately and well, not lately, like the past, you know, three years. Um, but I really like um top-down view 3D tokens that sort of um give you the scale of the whole body of a creature. And then on yeah. Foundry, I can adjust not just the size of the token, but also how much it sticks out of its own bounding box. So mm. how much larger it appears rather than how many squares it occupies, which yeah. is really useful for dragons with their wings extended. Because otherwise, yeah. if you're they kind of look small Anyways, if they right. have their wings extended in the inside the box, right? So th this is all just, you know technical virtual tabletop stuff but um yeah with the tarasque like i have a great token of it i've never used it obviously i've, I've yet mm. to throw tarasque at my players um but i have a huge beautiful artwork of this of this tarasque and i set it to like two times the size of what it actually is so that it appears to stretch out beyond its token boundaries great and you can like you know and then i can add rubble where its tail hits and people look like they're going inside of its mouth and stuff like that. So that, that yeah. would be fun. Do you, do you guys have well. um, recommendations for tokens? What artists you would buy your tokens from? Um, James, I don't know. I, I uh, Roll20, mm -hmm. I, uh, I tend to buy some of the, 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 the assets that you can get on the, the official website. If you buy um, the modules for some of the D&D adventures on there, the ones they come with are the sort of standard, but they come with a nice token frame and everything, but they're the standard mm. ones from the from the rule books. Um, yep. Which does mean, however, that some are missing. There are always some images that they don't have because uh, yeah. there's not official, there's just not official artwork for them in the in whatever. And then you just they're, Google they're image from. something that you like that isn't copyrighted and you use that. Yeah, exactly. um, for me, I'm as being a big lover of assets, I have a massive library of tokens and things like that, especially top down tokens, rather than like portrait circular tokens. So I would highly recommend Forgotten Adventures. Um, they do they actually have two different Patreons. There's Forgotten Adventures and Forgotten Adventures Battle Maps, FA Battle Maps. Um, their battle maps are beautiful because their assets are just i think they're one of the more perfect uh battle map makers and along with tom cardos and some sepeku and stuff um but the forgotten adventures tokens while i can gripe about how they kind of drip feed me i only get about a new token pack of about six a week their art is so exact to the monster manual monster manual and so high res and high quality that that's almost the only one i'll settle for anymore because everything else kind of doesn't look as good by comparison in my humble opinion so no we're not sponsored but yeah. <laughs> I wish we kind of were i could talk oh, about yeah. them forever not yet. not yet um but yeah they're they're incredible and if they're listening which i know they probably aren't please release an umber hulk token sometime because i don't like the ones i have from other creators and i'd love to use yours forgotten adventures thanks <laughs> brilliant uh, cool well, so so go on james sorry, go on. so i say what i'd um it's not monsters but for player tokens what i'll tend mm. to do is hero forge and use their token um yeah maker, yeah their token art. so you can sure. totally customize and also you'll have a 3d model of the character as well that you can color with with paint i keep forgetting then, that's a thing you need a subscription for that right uh yes you do yeah but i want to um, do that 
I, I, I want to get their top-down versions. Yeah, because yeah, you can get the top-down versions where you essentially just rotate all around this 3D model and you can take yeah. the, the picture from where, wherever you want. You scale yeah, it. That's true. To, and yeah, it's it's great. It's really good. And they, they keep adding new options. Um, it's, a, it's a shame that um, it they're based in America and so shipping the physical miniatures. I don't think the pricing is extortionate or anything. It's just it takes a while to get to the, yeah, to the UK. Yeah, to get overseas. But so. if you do have a 3D printer of your of your own, um, or if you and actually have set it up, unlike me, um, <laughs> you can get the <laughs> STL files that they have and then print it. Your print your own mini yourself at home. So that's pretty right. cool. Yeah. Um, listen, like I said, I'll be in the UK again in late November. So if someone wants to pay for an extra suitcase that I'll that I'll uh, check <laughs> on the flight packed with whatever hero forge orders you want i'll give you my address and i'll just take a small <laughs> couple of uh, token commissions a uh, couple of miniature commissions and we'll be set <laughs> why the hell not yeah. yeah brilliant so james what's the uh, what's the news then for this week uh so there's been some more information come out about the uh upcoming uh planescape uh book uh for cool. 5e um so uh they have announced, obviously, we've talked about already, there's going to be three books. They have now announced, though, that rather than the 64-page um, books that they released for the Planescape, uh, sorry, the Spelljammer uh, one, um, they are bumping the page count up to 96 pages for two of the books. And then the Monster Manual one is still 64 pages, but it means that there's almost a whole fourth extra book on the last release, so it'll be a lot chunkier. Mm um okay. so that's that's a good start um, as always i'm cautiously optimistic i really love the planescape setting i got a when i first started in roll dark one of our gms started getting me onto it and i had never heard of it and then i looked into it and i was like this is awesome Stiggle yeah. and everything else it is but quite cool. yeah uh, i don't know i'm we got so so badly burned by the Spelljammer stuff that I'm just I'm I'm not sure if I'm ready to dive in. We'll so they've see. got yeah they've got some more stuff about the Lady of Lady of Pain who rules Pain. rules mm. over Sigil, who I will say it differently to JC. <laughs> and yes, eventually what, one of I us mean, will be corrected. Listen, more power to you. <laughs> I, I was I was like you once upon a time. <laughs> uh, I'm sure someone will tell me why I'm wrong. Um, <laughs> okay, so yes. Um, They've got so actually in the um, keys from the golden vault there is uh, a small mission that takes you very briefly through the oh, oh where all the portals are the outlands thank you. there we go oh um, nice okay uh, so they which I think sigil is sitting at the center of? yeah the center yeah. yeah it's it's the city of doors right you can yeah. you can always find a portal to one of the outer planes there so they've already yeah. sort of started seeding some of the stuff and all the they they've listed all the towns and things in the keys from the golden vault already um that are there that have the border towns uh with all the all the cool. different um stuff around the edge um so i wonder if that was a deliberate seeding of ideas or they were just like ah, this is cool mm. uh they must have been writing them at similar times though so um, but apparently exactly. we're going to be getting Probably different teams. Um, a lovely map of the Outlands and the city, um, which nice. will include all the wards. And then inside the book, there's going to be lots of information about the different orders and factions within the city. So uh, the Fraternity of Order is apparently one. 
uh, group who they are highlighting that who love law and order, uh, as you may have gathered from their name, um, and believe that, that like law holds some fundamental truth about the way the universe operates. Um, so that seems interesting. I can imagine it being quite difficult to get players to play along with them. So I imagine that'd be mm. mostly antagonistic in, in any game that I run. <laughs> <Primal boy. laughs> not deliberately, because they're not evil, but um, no one will want to do what they're told. Um, uh, the Hands of Havoc, um, which is apparently about tearing down the old and building back something new, um, have risen Hands to a havoc. place of prominence. Hands cool. of Havoc, yeah. Nice. That seems much more like my players. Um, yeah. <laughs> so, hands, yeah. lots of Havoc. Makes mm. sense. So they've added. So the gate towns that I was talking about um, a second ago are, are all around the edge of the Outlands. Um, they have gone into detail about all of those and which planes. So, for instance, the one that borders Macanus, the, the home of the Modrons, their little robot uh, folk. Um, there's a metronome effect. So, if you start, say, hammering a nail there, you'll end up doing it in time involuntarily with this uh like metronome. oh that's a cool feature of that that's i've never thought about yeah. it that way yeah or if you're like if you're walking around the city you'll be doing it in step with in, everyone in else step. yeah right set to the rhythm cool. oh yeah. that's brilliant which could be quite creepy in a way as well because yeah that's happen. terrifying yeah you're, you're matching pace with the modrons i wonder if you start mm. like if you start speaking you involuntarily start speaking at the same pace and monotone the same way like kind of like a robot yeah, or a monodrone would well, that'd be quite cool yeah mm. that would be cool so that's yes yeah, wow. i would really uh... want to run something in that now <laughs> yeah right <laughs> that sounds awesome so well, there's 16, 16 of those towns. So I imagine there'll be some some more cool stuff. There's yeah, the what the the city that's at the bottom of uh, connected to Mount Celestia. Um, mm. Apparently, the people who just live there are just very loath to leave, um, but quite nosy. Mm. Um, so they don't want to mm. go anywhere, but they want to know what's going on outside the town. But admittedly, yeah. if you're sat at the bottom of Mount Celestia, why would you want to leave? Right, um, it makes sense. If only to go to the top. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, Right, yeah, so Sigil, oh, Hard G, Sigil, yeah, okay, um, oh, in the news story, up, <laughs> I've been I've been corrected in the news story that I brought to the table myself, uh, <laughs> as, I, as I missed that, but it suddenly stood out to me. Uh, it's annoying though, isn't it, having like, to say Sigil? Sigil, it's like, yeah. Why, why not just, go, whoever invented the setting, why not just call in Sigil? It, it's spelled like Sigil, Sigil sounds cool, it has an interesting definition, why Sigil? Sigil sounds like yeah, you're yeah, you, sounds you're like in ignoramus, like you don't know what you're saying. It, it yeah, does. Right. It's yeah. Uh, it's, not, it's not a real word, but they've used the spelling of another word. Yeah, <laughs> I realize there's so uh, there, there, and there. No, it's it's, it's one of those. I know, um, I know. Yeah, right. English. <laughs> okay. Yeah. The uh, the rhyme from, rhyme with the frost maiden always used to bother me. It could be how they spell up my front. Is it the American spelling of rhyme? No. Okay. So this this is interesting because just... I'm running through it right now. Okay. So it's a double entrand, but it's rather stupid. And and it annoys me that it's like this. They did this on purpose. Rhyme is spelled R-I-M-E is another word for frost or like hoarfrost. So stuff that like icy surfaces. Oh, this this thing is entirely encrusted with with rhyme. It means it's got a frosty sort of icy surface right. to it. Right. So and then of course rhyme. It means two words that sound the same. So there is a part later in the book, spoilers, who cares, um, for an adventure that's already like four or five years old. Um, but there's a part of the book where 
in order to progress, this is kind of like the big thing that you're looking for, the big MacGuffin that you're searching for, is a book that has the rhyme of the Frost Maiden in it, which you <laughs> use to sort of access a very important right. location at the end of the adventure. And it is a literal rhyme, like a, a poem that you read that rhymes that cracks a glacier open and then you walk inside. So <laughs> the rhyme of the Frost Maiden is just a double entendre. And I, there's one day where I really want to shake Chris Perkins' hand and then just give him a light little kick in the shin for that. Just a little <laughs> one. Just a little bit like you. Yeah. <laughs> it's, a, it's a classic example of, of, uh, of a stupid person trying to be clever. Well, I mean, <laughs> it's like, <all laughs> I wasn't right. going to say anything. No, no, I'm kidding. But I, I get, I get the the, I guess I get the the logic behind it. But it's still, yeah, it's it's just could have yeah, sounded so much cooler if you said the Frost Maiden's Wrath or or you know, yeah. um, the Endless Winter or whatever it might have been. But yeah. here we are. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's, oh. it's interesting because I, I love I love the word the the name of the um the mountain range the spine of the world. I think that's such the spine a cool, of the world. That's yeah. such a cool yeah. name. Like I would have it really have, like, paints a picture, right? Yeah, it does. It's yeah. bleak. It it's it's just great, really great way of like, oh. Yeah. You don't want to find yourself there. <laughs> For, so I, I, I have to recommend, you know, I've been living and breathing and drinking the Forgotten Realms for so many years at this point. And if you're a fan of that setting, which I know is overdone in 5e and people are, are desperate for things like Planescape and Spelljammer and, and Athos, may long live it, may long let it rain. Um, but if you really like the Forgotten Realms, I would highly suggest you look at some of the older material. I know it's not easy to get anymore and you have to mostly look for PDFs of it, but some of the campaign guides and the books from 3.5 and third edition and stuff like that, they are so well written, so labors of love. It, it immediately strikes you as, wow, someone really put a lot of thought into every little element of this. And then fourth edition came and tried to whitewash it and fifth edition came back and uh, kind of made it all you know, they retconned everything that happened in fourth edition. and But fifth edition, I find, and this is my kind of big gripe with um, uh, Shattered Obelisk, which I picked up and I've, I've bought it and I've started reading it. Um, fifth edition kind of feels a little bit watered down in terms of the lore of stuff. They kind of drip feed you a little bit of it. Hmm. And they're like, oh, hey, and if you're curious, there's other products that you can explore. And you're like, okay, I wish you had devoted another, you know, 20 pages to really get into it, into the meaty, into the real meat and potatoes of it. And yeah. I understand that the design principle behind 5th edition is to keep it simple and make it more accessible to larger amounts of players rather than the niche nerd who likes to read about lore. But I highly recommend, Rob, like you, you said the spine of the world, right? This is what kicked this off. There's so much good stuff in the Forgotten Realm setting that is like that. There's also stuff that doesn't make sense, let's be real. Um, but but there is a lot of rich, fun history with that. And I realized doing research for Rhyme of the Frost Maiden that Icewind Dale is a, is a very, very rich pre-fifth edition history. And what's going everything that happens in that book is actually kind of a callback to previous things that have happened. So there mm. is a little bit of that love still there when they're writing these adventures, but a lot better. 
So it's, anyway. it's, it's interesting, isn't it? That, that, that what they're trying to do is obviously, you know, mass market appeal. But at the same time, it's like, don't ostracize or don't like, you know, like fail to include the love of the original. It's like what they do with Star Wars, right? Like how they've like, mm-hmm. like mm-hmm. completely bastardized mm-hmm. Star Wars to the point where there's like so many people have, oh, my brother James is a massive fan of Star Wars. Now he won't even watch any, he won't watch any of the episodes, any of, this, any wow. of the new series, not interested. He's like checked out because of how they've just literally ruined it. And yeah, it's like with D&D, it's, it kind of feels a shame that they're, that they're watering everything down because, you know, yeah. if your chances are, if you like fantasy, you know, you'll play D&D. If you don't like fantasy, chances are you will not be interested in playing D&D, regardless right. of how much they water it down. You are not interested, right? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. If this is not your, if you're a Call of Duty player through and through and you don't really care for fantasy, you're not going to get much out of this. So you would never play it, would you? It's like, it's like, and and it's it's almost like as if, I think if you like fantasy, chances are you're into it because of the fact that you love story, you know? And that's what the law is all about, right? You love the law because you love story. Yeah, Yeah. I think they're doing doing themselves a disservice there. I think they're they're making some bad decisions. I think, and and honestly, necessarily i don't necessarily think they're trying i mean they are trying to obviously appeal to new players with this but i think what they're trying to do rather than get bogged down in law is make it so dms can take this stuff and then do a lot of the legwork to create their own law for their table they are sort of very much their parting line yeah yeah they're looking yeah. at it like that rather than saying well there's this say there's this law that all tables have to adhere to it's like here are some ideas here's what maybe a small amount of official law if you're going to use the official setting but hey if you just want to pop this own. in if you want to put this in your own world you can mm-hmm. take this change the yeah. names and it works just fine as well Here, which here's my devil's advocate argument to that show me the dm that hasn't already done that no matter what the established lore is like that that's the whole thing mm. no matter who you that. are no matter who you are unless you're an absolute purist and i have met one person like that come to think of it um former player but you'll make your the world your own no matter what you do right you'll and that can go anything from down to how many attacks the behir has to how many like to the the history of a city like You'll be doing that anyway. And I think to sort of have that design principle and be like, well, encourage DMs to make it their own. DMs have always made it their own. We've always made it our own. Um, Give us more official stuff that we can draw inspiration from, I think. In other words, don't don't cut corners. Don't be lazy. And I think that that's... But Rob, to your point, that's happening with everything. That's happening with... Look look at anything that's been rehashed for, for millennials sort of... Um, you know, nostalgia purposes. Look at look yeah. at Star Wars. Look at Indiana Jones. Look at how they took that. You know, everything gets rehashed, kind right. of tried to make more accessible or relive the glory days. And as a result, it kind of feels a little cheap, a little bit watered down. What we are enjoying, though, is new IP. People coming up with fresh new stories for new things. And mm-hmm. that brings me to the final point I'll make about this, and then I promise I'll shut up and let James get on with the news. <laughs> is that um, while what you said, Rob, about D&D not being the right, you know, game for people who don't like fantasy is very true. And here we are to remind you, there are other systems, you know, yes, it dominates 90% of our conversation here because it's so big and because we play it so much. 
but there's so many good systems out there. You want more of a joke uh, campaign. You want something more set in the future. You want something more, you know, you know gothic and vampire and more role play. Eldritch, mm-hmm. 1920s, 1800s. There's a system for literally everything out there. And I'm sure mm-hmm. that there's like a modern, there's, there's superheroes, there's like Marvel and DC inspired systems. There's so many good ones. So I I am I'm hungry to play and have more time to check out other systems. I'm dying for a Call of Cthulhu game. So one one day we'll yeah. we'll get there. We've got we've got a Call of Cthulhu game actually coming up on the Oh yeah? Who's third, who's running that? Third of October, a new DM called Tommy. Nice. Nice. Yeah. I think he's so far I've he's talked got... about I've talked a lot with Leo and Nay about Call of Cthulhu. You hear mm. that, Leo? I know yeah, you're yeah. not listening, but you better run a one shot <laughs> for me one day. <laughs> yeah. yeah right i'd quite like i'd quite like them to, them to do something with like uh gum gumpler you know my gundam figures that yeah yeah the gundam stuff sure Did you, do you guys know i made i made the i made the big one that i had i, I, I yeah but you showed us the box pictures. Yeah, uh, ago and i saw the pictures yeah it <laughs> looks, the pictures it looks awesome yeah. how was that experience uh it was actually pretty good it was really cool. really relaxing and cool and like because every single bit that you build has been engineered so that um, by by a proper mech engineer in Japan, because they consider themselves actual mech engineers, mm, and they've sure. engineered it in a way that they would do if it was actually like a full scale, a true suit, like yeah, a giant a Gundam. Suit, yeah. yeah, I'll bring him down one second. Bring him down. That's Uh-oh. that's that's oh, pretty cool a, that they take that treat. seriously. <laughs> Don't break it now. <laughs> yeah, right. You can't see this, listeners, but he almost dropped yeah. it off the shelf as he pulled it down. <laughs> <laughs> oh, his wings keep going off. Oh, one second. Uh, that's okay. They can fold no. in, right? That's the that's the yeah. problem with, with them. They he look is great awesome. Yeah. How how tall is that? Wings not included. So he's as big as my face. That's yeah. huge. It's bigger than the a human head, bigger. folks. Yeah. yeah. The wings and, and then the cool. wings make it even larger. It's so so fucking cool. I really, really love it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Honestly, I have so much respect for the people in that hobby and and people who paint miniatures and do things like that i'm so not a craftsman i'm a i can write and talk all day but i can't build or paint for my life so this is really straightforward because it's literally just you clip them and you clip them and there's no paint there's no there's no painting there's no that's glue. true i suppose say, yeah yeah you say it's all clipped together so it's not glue either or, no no glue no glue in it. oh, it's okay. literally all that's appealing together. that is yeah, yeah. Yeah, here's the manual here. Look, I I'll always end up you. with my hands stuck together when I've used to clean mm, them up. When yeah, you're doing no, stuff like no that. No glue, yeah. So, look, if you, so if you, um, let me show you one bit. Yes, yeah, so if you look at the instructions there, look. So that's oh, like wow. one of his legs. So you get this bit, this bit, this bit, and you just nice. boop, 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 clip. It that's kind it. of is like an Ikea manual. That's what it reminds me of. Yeah. It's a the it's, most it's, complex IKEA manual you'll ever see. Yeah. <laughs> no, but see that, but yeah, exactly. And that's the thing: IKEA is like deceptively simple, and yet, without fail, every time you end up on the floor, being like, "What oh, do you yeah. mean this part doesn't go here? Yeah. What? But that's yeah, what it right. says, right?" Oh yeah, my desk is built the wrong way. Um, <laughs> yeah, right. my IKEA desk. Oh it's no! Better. I always get so frustrated with it because it's, it's always you always expect it to be far more complicated than it is. Hmm. So you so you make like over complicated mistakes if that's even a thing it's like it's so strange yeah. isn't it <laughs> yeah you overthink it and you overthink it exactly sorry james any more no, any sure. more news there james yeah so uh, there is quite a bit of information on the adventure um 
which is called uh, Turn of Fortune's Wheel um, for the, for the setting. Um, so it, like, if anyone uh, ever played the old Planescape Torment video game, um, the adventure began with players waking up in a mortuary in Sigil. Oh, it's going to take some getting used to saying that. <laughs> <laughs> Turn of Fortune's Wheel begins the same way with Mort, the wisecracking skull, um, but he's looking for someone else mm. so he doesn't stick around for long. Um, the interesting thing about the adventure, however, is that there is a multiplayer glitch which disrupts death. So when characters, instead of going on to their normal afterlife, they come back after a few beats as a different incarnation of themselves. So you start. Oh. So if you start as a human fighter, you might come back as a different class, or maybe an elf, or even something as simple uh, as as a change of facial hair. But there is uh, the adventure provides <laughs> guidance to DMs and players as to how to handle these transformations so it's fun for everyone. Um, sounds so like a faff. It does. does. That... So wait, hold on. Does that... I does think that we're D&D Beyond, though. you inhabit... A, like, does it create a new adult body for you? Or it, yes. it, when it says, like, you reincarnate, does that mean you go a into new adult body. a new infant? Oh, it, like, actually fabricates a new adult body. That yeah. will lead to population spikes in a real bad way. <laughs> well, I think yeah, right. I think that first version of you that dies is dead, but it draws a different version of you from the multiverse to replace ah, you. That makes sense. Oh, right, I see. Okay. I see. I see. So it balances um, out, but it's pulling like a different reality. Yeah. You know, like oh, this one is you, just you know, where you had heterochromia or something like yeah, that. Yeah, this is or you. But you've missed your, your mom's thirtieth yeah. birthday party or whatever. I don't know. I'm like, <laughs> yeah. yeah. So the mystery, mystery of, studio, so the yeah, the adventure runs trying to work out the mystery of why this is happening, um, uh, and apparently that's slowly okay. revealed. Um, and then once you get to yeah. tenth, you discover pieces of yourself as you play your way to tenth level. Once you figure out your true self, you catapult to your true potential and finish the adventure at level seventeen. So that's quite. Cool. Oh right, this is might... the one that jumps right. Yeah. It goes from like levels. What is it? One to ten, ten and then you. Yeah, I think. Three it's to 10, ten, and then it goes. You the end yeah. is seventeen, and then straight to yeah, three to ten, seventeen after that. So I've done that before. <laughs> um, so apparently, this doesn't mean that characters will die more often. Um, they didn't want to make an adventure where dying didn't matter, so they provide a, they provide a lot of guidance apparently about how to use the mechanic effectively okay. and make All you right. feel like the adventure has stakes still. Uh, I think though, if your character you turn up with initially, and if I don't know whether it would be worth not telling the players, hey. We're going to be using your character, and they will have a lot of the same life experiences. But we're going to we're going to get to a lot of iterations of them, maybe, or just not telling them, waiting for them to show up, have them killed, and then be like, "But by the way, <laughs> you, mm. oh, I like that. You're now All an right. elf. But you're Consider still my 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 curiosity peaked. Yeah, it mm. seems like an it That's seems interesting. Like interesting. Yeah. Um, so um, yeah. Mm. Other than that, there's like a um. A brief talk about um how the adventure starts you'll go to apparently a casino is there and there's a walking castle i think i've seen revealed on social media as well oh that's cool like yeah. walking castle yeah um i think it's and essentially Castle- the players castlevania castlevania walks as well isn't it oh yeah I think it teleports right. and, and moves around they have yeah. a giant system but if it, this is a castle with literal legs it, is, be... it has literal legs i think someone like, has um, made um a, a a mini of it and i say mini very right. loosely like you can play it's on a giant it. structure it's yeah yeah, yeah. <laughs> bloody huge a model of it i Ooh. suppose is the right yeah 
term. Um, yeah. Kind of like, um, have you guys played Elden Ring? Do you know those walking shrines? Yes. That, oh, mm. God, those things. <laughs> Got bored of it. Oh yeah, I got overwhelmed by it. <laughs> just hack and slash, man. I was just, I was just, I was just like, yeah, okay. Because what am I doing now? I've got to kill these guys. Okay, uh, I've just come back. I come back. Oh, they're back again. And then it's like hack and slash, hack and slash, hack and slash, hack and slash. Oh, yeah. You've got a new weapon. That's... Hack and slash, hack and slash. It's just like, oh god, what? what That's the on? Dark Souls the formula that they're famous That's for. Like, <laughs> game is just like, oh yeah, I was, I was over it. I, I I like it because I like that style. Well, I, I know that that system and I know those games and from software's sort of beat. But I will be honest, I stopped playing because I got overwhelmed by it. It was just I was getting my ass handed to me too much. And I realized I built my character completely wrong. And I've been meaning to go back and, and redo them. But that's going to be a while. Now. I think the I think the law for like Elden Ring and stuff uh, and Dark Souls is all all like incredible. But mm. the amount of time it would take me to find all the little bits of lore that I would find interesting and dying yeah. over and over and over again, I just don't have the free time to re to want to mm. replay the same bits over and over again. Right. Like if I've got an hour or two in an evening to play video games, you want to make do, progress. No, yeah, 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 I want to feel like at the end of that, I've moved the <laughs> the sticks. Yeah, you've <laughs> done something. Right. It, did, done it, something. it just I just felt like I was playing a game. I know that's a bit of a silly thing to say because obviously you are playing a game, but I like to be I like I to be immersed. Mean. I like to be immersed in my games. Yeah. You know, I like to be like I like to for me to be like not sat down playing a game. I want to be in the game, living. Mm. You know, and, and like and when you die and you come back, you have to kill the same people again. And you keep doing it over and over. It's just like what you're throwing what is, yourself against what the brick this? wall. <laughs> yeah, what is this? It's like it's like am I just I'm just like what am I doing? well that was that was uh, i got i'll tell you the point exactly where i i got a little overwhelmed by it i was fighting one of those crucible knights if you guys haven't fought these in elden ring they're um they're these they're just these really powerful knights they fly around as well if you get them below half their health and i remember when i fought him the first time i was like oh this is a tough boss but i feel like i can do it and I kept doing it and doing it. And I felt like I was throwing myself a wall against a wall. And at one point, my partner at the time comes over and she's like, do you, why don't you just level up a little bit, get better weapons, get better stats, and then come back and do this? Because it's an optional boss. It wasn't blocking my progress. And I looked at her and I was like, no, I'm going to get good, as they say. And I threw myself because I knew I could. I just wanted to see how long it would take me. The answer was 96. It was 96 tries. And that's when I finally mastered the art of parrying at the right moment, which is really hard to pull off in that game. And that's how I beat that that one boss. And it took me so long. <laughs> it, it seems like... And then I was like, all right, I'm done. <laughs> yeah, right, yeah. It seems like the kind of game where if I was a teenager on like a summer break or like an Easter break or something, and I could just be like, right, I'm gonna spend a, a, a yeah. few days or a week or whatever, just zone out yeah. the rest of the world, just crack on through it. I'd probably have a great time with it, but I just, mm. unfortunately, mm. as an adult, I don't have that level of free time anymore, and it's sort of yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You have jobs, responsibilities, people to yeah, take care of. Yeah, it's a problem. I come from I come from the Elder Scrolls kind of world. Like I remember when Morrowind first came out, and that was like that was the one computer game that that literally just took all my attention i was like mm -hmm. I, think I, must, I, might, I think i might have been playing like just on and off games here and there playing fifa every now and again or whatever and then when morrowind was out i was just like oh my god mm -hmm. i was like mm -hmm. this this is what i've been searching for like literally like 
Oh, I love it. It just clicked. Yeah. Rob, you and I could have a whole afternoon talk about this because that's I had the exact same experience. Mm. Exact same. Yeah, that game, that game, that game sucked but, me in. I was yeah, like, okay, yeah. I, was like, I was like, this is what I, this is what I want now. This is the benchmark yeah. for how I, how I power play games. This is what I want. And then I remember when Oblivion came out, and you could see the blades of grass moving separately. Mm -hmm. I was like, I was like, it was I was a big like, graphical update oh at the time. Yep. Yeah. Like, yeah. It's insane. It was. Just I wonderful. have deja vu. I feel like we've we've discussed this before, but it never gets old yeah. for me. It no, it no. like it it's it has a very special place in my heart, and to this day. In any of my games, when you're waiting for the game to start and you're logged in, I have a track or a, a playlist called Precession Music. And the very first one you hear is 04 Nerevar Rising, which is the da 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 da. But the original right. one, not the <laughs> Skyrim, you know, yeah, yeah, yeah. Norse chant version that they yeah. did and stuff. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's from Morrowind. So, yeah. yeah. Yeah, James, I've, I've, never played, I've, never I've never played. I've never played Morrowind. I didn't have oh, it God. on the original Xbox. I, Oblivion was the first Elder Scrolls I played. But um, right, actually, right, right. Did, a lot of people think my yeah. my it, my intro music um, for my D and D games is usually um, a cover, uh, like a bardcore version of Shakira. Hips don't lie. So, oh, cool. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> I say it's a bang. <laughs> it's, it's an absolute bang. <laughs> hey, the Colombian in me totally appreciates that. Yeah. So, <laughs> I've got a number of bardcore covers I play when they're in taverns. Like, oh, what's the musician playing? Oh, he's playing Mr. Brightside. <laughs> <laughs> Brilliant. What do they? What TV show do they do that in? Oh, uh, West Westworld. Westworld. Yes. Yes. Yeah. The piano. The piano, the piano right. Uh, I forgot about yeah, the that. piano. The piano playing had um like uh, uh, Radiohead and stuff. That first. Yeah. The first season of Westworld was absolutely was so good. Yeah, so, so good. good, wasn't it? The rest of oh, it was, it was shit. phenomenal. Yes, that first yeah. one, brilliant. <laughs> brilliant. I got through halfway the of season black, two, and I, I just the man in caring. black. Oh, the, the man, man in black. Oh man! Where you find out at the uh, end, Ed, it's like what's his name? Ed, the actor who portrays him, Ed, not Ed Hardy. Uh, oh, uh, Ed Harris. Ed Harris. Yeah. Ed, Ed Hardy. Yeah. What a performance! <laughs> oh, close. And yeah, and, yeah. and and, and um, Anthony Hopkins as well. Like, like mm. what an oh, ensemble of actors! Incredible. Like they were brilliant. And the guy who played his his um his uh Bernard? like assistant. The guy who played Bernard. Assistant, the... Oh yeah. Oh. I yeah, always call him Felix. The guy who played Bernard. Yeah. The guy who played Bernard. Yeah. I always Felix, call him Felix because he plays oh. Felix Slider in in oh, yeah, Casino Royale and in some of the yeah, other Bond does. movies. Yeah, but yeah, good. he's he's yeah. a phenomenal actor as well. He was in um, he was so What good. If. He's the sort of main dude from What mm. If Marvel's What If. Um, he's oh. many things. He's he's incredible. Is that, is that yeah, his I voice? Love, I love that. That's oh, awesome. Yeah, it is. Yeah, it is. I love. I, that's one of my favorite pastimes. Is like looking at something or watching a cartoon, and being like, I know that voice. I can tell you who that is. <laughs> Jeffrey Wright. Jeffrey Wright. Yeah, Jeffrey Wright. Right, right. Is there is there a cowboy RPG where you're playing yeah. in the West? Like, yeah, there is. Like, I know. Um, I don't know the name off the top like of my Dead? head, but I actually I think just there's saw a Call of Cthulhu module as well for weird, for like weird West. Yeah, for cowboys. <laughs> oh, so you just Cthulhu, it's but like in the in the West. Come attack cowboys. I'm, yeah, I wouldn't be surprised oh. to learn that there is a specific Red Dead version of a tabletop RPG because I'm sure yeah, there must be. Yeah. I'm sure there is. Um because cowboys would, would be brilliant, wouldn't it? Be well, there's there's definitely yeah. cowboy LARPs. Sick. I saw one advertised um yeah, yeah. in Spain. Oh, yeah. Deadlands. Yeah, my, is Deadlands the... my um my dad's side of the family that? they they are obsessed with dressing as cowboys. And I remember we went to this thing called the Americana when we were um James and I were about eight years old. 
and it was basically mm. just a load of caravans all camped up and there's there's a guy called Raymond Froggy who was playing he was like a country western singer and like always and it was like a full-on like festival but everybody was dressed up in cowboy cowboy gears really popular nice. in the mid in the midlands in england there's like a really popular thing where they all dress up as cowboys and in, cowboys and indians it's bizarre but it's like massive that's cool that's yeah, cool it's really big um okay so i asked our our um lady at the uh at the computer or our, our person at the computer that's me Ooh. we don't have an assistant folks um so apparently there is the popular one is um deadlands it's called and yes. they're running with a new game engine now which is called the savage world engine which i've heard or savage yeah. worlds i think cool. um there's a d6 version of it as well there's a 5v adaptation of it called snakes and saloons um there is uh dogs in the vineyard which apparently is a type of old west game there's deadlands classic or deadlands reloaded um dust devils on drive through rpg untamed west legends of the untamed west rather um which is like a simpler version of it and someone made like a hack version of the fantasy flight star wars system called edge of the frontier which is <laughs> it's funny because it's edge of the empire is one of the books in the star wars system which i've played before it's a good, the Star Wars system is good. And I think let's talk about cool. that for a second. It's really good. It's, it really it's a good. lot of fun. It's not perfect, but it's really yeah. fun. They do this. I think my two favorite things of it are number one, the interpretation of the dice pool thing. Have you ever mm -hmm. played this, Rob? I know you're no, a Star Trek -y and not a Star Wars. -y. I, no, 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 no. I'm, I'm both. I am both. I originally, both. originally, I was reading to Star Wars. I prefer the original stuff. Um, but mm, uh, obviously, no, I'm not. No, I've not played. I've played the Star Trek Adventures. I've not played the Star Wars one. So the Fantasy really Flight like, Star yeah. Wars system starts off with three core books that are very, very adherent to like original Star Wars stuff. You mostly Ooh. making a Jedi is actually kind of kind of discouraged a little bit only the third book really goes into that you mostly are making pilots or scoundrels or bounty hunters and that sort of thing very deep into the sort of kind of plain aesthetic of the early star wars stuff Underworld, yeah guess yeah guess yeah cool. exactly and like you know living on the fringe of the of the system and you know the outer rim and stuff um it's excellent the the dice pool is so much fun because you it is custom dice so you either have to buy it or you download an app or something but basically they have um three different levels of of different sorts of things that can happen in a combat or with a roll and three different kinds of dice that you roll one of them kind of is your standard this is a success or a failure die and based on the number of pips that you see or symbols that you see like oh okay i got three successes but i got two failures so that means i overall succeed because the three cancels out the two so i only have one success left but based on the number of successes that you have right if you don't get any canceled out that means better stuff and then there's layers on top of that where like you can add i don't exactly know what it's called anymore because it's been a while but there's the blue die versus like the red die and that lets you have it's not advantage it's but boost. it's something like I think that. I boost boost. Die. yeah it's like yeah. boost and draw or setback die which means it doesn't mean you succeed but if you get enough boost results something good can happen as a result of what you do which is by the way brilliant game design because missing in dnd sucks right you miss yeah. and there's nothing else you do you've you've spent your whole turn maybe a spell slot whatever or or your extra attack and you've just rolled two misses 
there's nothing, there's no worse feeling in the world, right? Because then you're just sitting there being like, all right, I guess that's my turn. But in Star Wars, there's so much more possibility of you not succeeding or missing, but something good happening, right? So, yeah. and it's purely up to the GM to interpret it. So it's it'd be like, oh, okay. So you're, you're in a shootout in this hallway. You miss your target, but you got three boost dice. So one of your laser blasts hits the steam pipe in behind oh, him and I suddenly see. a whole bunch of steam comes covering up and now he's going to have disadvantage or whatever it is on his next um yeah, his next better. shot yeah. against you it is goes like both ways dice? as well kind it does of. it does yeah. they can miss so you, you and then accidentally like you know hit the wire that suddenly makes the countdown to the base exploding cut in half you know it could well, be like, stuff like that yeah you go in for a melee attack you get a really good hit on them but you've got a couple of disadvantage rolls uh, like symbols pop up and you're like well okay yeah you've overextended yourself there um yeah. so you've hit him for a solid hit but now you're exposed and everyone else is going to be it's gonna be a lot easier for everyone else to hit you to hit you now. yep yeah yep Wow. Yeah, okay. but you, you, it like it's quite DM intensive because you've got to run with that on the on the fly and then on keep the track of all you're, of it. You're in your, in your a lot. Yeah. It's, yeah, it's a lot more improv. The only thing I, I the only thing I don't okay. like about it, and it's not the system itself; it's more the support for it. It's finding maps mm. for it is kind of mm. difficult if you want yes, to do is. something outside yes, it, yeah. of like Tatooine or the inside of like the Death Star. Yeah, yeah Star right. or a Starship. Yeah, <laughs> those are the two maps that people seem to create, and then there's yeah. no like, and you can't weird use interesting stuff. Standard fantasy maps, or you, you very right. sparingly, because you're going to see things in there that don't match up to the Star Wars universe. You know, yeah. they they have like pieces of paper on a map, and you're like, they they wouldn't have that. Um, yeah. yeah, yeah. But there's the second part about that system that I really like is the, and this is not proprietary to Fantasy Flight Star Wars, but um, there's the soak system, so rather and, and the strain system rather. So rather than taking purely health damage, you have a, effectively a second uh, HP bar, which is your strain. And this is kind of this this kind of actually makes a lot more sense than how D and D handles its health rules. So in D and D, you're as effective whether you're at 100 hit points or you're at one hit point, right? This doesn't actually stop you or inhibit you in any way. Yeah, right. And, you know, you'd be like, oh, I lost 99 hit points. I must be a bloody mess, right? Like, yeah, right. you just died off. probably a long time ago if you took off anything more than a grievous wound. wound. Right, exactly, yeah. right? And yeah, there's magic, but that doesn't explain certain things. No. Um, whereas in the Fantasy Flight game, your HP bar is... In, uh, is effectively pretty low you never really get too much hp you can if you spec it right but um you every time you suffer like you get a couple of more wounds or whatever that's what they call it um you start to suffer some drawbacks and you're not as effective in combat to make up for that they have something called strain which means you can expend sort of mental energy or just your own sort of stamina in the fight to power certain things like okay you can push through this but it's going to cost you one strain or two strain or the enemy doesn't quite hit your wounds but it will cause you some strain as they do something else you know so there's kind of like a secondary hp bar overlay which makes a lot of sense wow at least to me. it's really cool i oh, will have to play at some at some point Rob, yeah i think yeah, yeah i'll get I'll it i'll be, that. That. be up for rewriting the whole of the sequels if you like <laughs> we could that. do it in game. You really feel up. <laughs> yeah, right. Yeah. Yeah. I just, I just think that that's a whole ridiculous. separate podcast. It's just ridiculous. Yeah, 
That's just so bloody ridiculous. Anyway, you know, I to to that <laughs> last point, I I feel you so hard. I the sequels, I thought they were okay with Force Awakens, and then um, except for the thing that was like, oh, it's a Death Star, but bigger. Um, <laughs> they can't think of new things apparently. And then the next two were just yeah. disasters, in my opinion. The thing that, the thing, like, that really, the, the thing that really bugs me at the moment with Star Wars is the pandering to the Chinese market that is just going like it's going like bananas. And and Over also what? and also well basically they they just they have a lot of like um there's a lot of stuff in it that is like very like I don't know, I can't really I know what they what they did with John Boyega is they reduced oh, they, him they, in size oh, on the yeah. posters. Yes, that's 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 what they did. That's what they did. They because, reduced because him they made they made him really size? small. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah so yeah, it didn't yeah. look like as big a part of the film. Um yeah. Yeah, and was... and they also they also changed his they changed his his entire character. Arc yeah, he was well. supposed to be. He was supposed yeah. to force wielder, force yeah, sensitive. He was, yeah, right. he was supposed to go on to become a Jedi. He was supposed to be a stormtrooper that heard the Force, and that was why he like did what he did, and that was his motivation. Uh... But because they wanted to appeal to the Chinese market, like James said, they had to like change his whole thing, which is like I've never heard which, that. Which you have thought like Dis- Disney trying to be. You know, yeah. it's, it's just they're just they're just crooks. There's, I know Marvel have done it in the past. They've amended scenes, but they've not done it to that extent. Like there was, mm. um, the scene, there was a scene in Iron Man three where the I think the Doctor who operated on Tony's um, heart to make it so he doesn't need the arc reactor. I think that was mm. there was like an extra scene shot for uh, Chinese theaters where that was there. Yeah, there's, they've got an extra scene where that he goes to. I think somewhere in china to have it done um and that was to appeal to oh. it seems like such a weird oh did, did why they what that? was wrong with the doctor in the third i don't remember the iron man there's nothing, there's nothing wrong there, to be fair there's nothing wrong with the scene it just wasn't shown in uk or american cinemas it was just a, a scene specifically shot for that market so it's not the first time that disney have Interesting. I, don't, actually, I, don't, I don't know if yeah. iron man 3 was under disney yet but it's not the first time that a big movie studio um has altered films for mm-hmm. the chinese market mm-hmm. That's uh, and, very and weird. they're not the only industry that know. does it as well because they're, yeah, they're I know, I'm sure I know, I'm sure. I, know in pub, I know in publishing they want a lot changed in books even yep. like um like textbooks um that they buy from other countries my 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 uh re- my memory of that is when i remember that they said that world of warcraft was yes. specifically changed a lot for the Chinese market and for the East yeah. Asian market in general. Like, um, especially, a, a pan, it was like a panda. There's like a panda class. Or oh something, well, there it? was the whole expansion. Yeah, um, Miss of Pandaria. But uh, even before that, long before that, there was you couldn't. So the undead in that game, the Forsaken, that you could play as, you could play as like an undead part of the Horde faction, and if they they had to remake parts of the game so that the undead didn't show bone it was just basically rotting flesh and ugly hair but they can't show bone because apparently that's very insensitive and kind of against certain sort of um, traditions in chinese culture or right traditional chinese culture but, but they, like, like the, the world balls. of warcraft game i think there's like a law that says like you can't show skeleton in oh really in certain yeah and in, in oh, certain wow. markets i don't know the specifics so i'm kind of shooting from the hip here but i do know that blizzard had kind of produced a version of this game where in china your undead don't show bones they can't show any part of the oh, skeleton god's sake oh, so it's interesting it's yeah i get that it's a it's but a big it's market like you need such to make a fantasy some... staple but I'm yeah like, what I suppose, <laughs> what do yeah. you do 
So I'm wondering, like, does does Wizards of the Coast do that? Is there a page missing for the skeleton stat block in the monster manual, and everything is slightly off? It's so weird because, oh, yeah, I don't know the I don't know what the what the main RPG like tabletop RPG that is played over there. I know in Japan it's Call of Cthulhu. Yeah, I I think think that's the only yeah it's the only one that I've I've specifically heard about. I think across most of Europe, D and D's top and. Um, right. I think South America's yeah. got uh, an interesting as well. top one, but I can't remember what, what, what it oh, is. Oh, really? I wouldn't yeah. be surprised if it's Vampire the Masquerade, honestly. Yeah, maybe it is. It's definitely one that I'd heard of before, um, but it wasn't called Cthulhu or D&D. I don't know. Cool. Anyway. Cool. So, any any more news, James? Uh, no, no. That's 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 all all the news uh, Good we stuff. have for the moment. So, JC, do we have some tales from the table? We do, and we have um, a bit of a long one, but a pretty good one, as far as we can tell. So, Ooh. this is from one of our DMs. Is uh, He's Callum Fraser, but also goes by Face. And he does this really cool thing where he has his players write up a summary of every session. And this is... If I'm not mistaken, this is a long-running campaign. Yeah, it starts off at the top saying, Session 134, Triggering Thoughts, General Summary. And then there's even a date here that I'm assuming is an in-world date. Ninth Sidon Star, 836 PD. You'll have to ask Face for whatever that specific thing means, but... Um, effectively, here we go. Uh, I'm going to try and get this, I'm going to try and get through this as quickly as I can, but I think it's rather well written. And I know James and I are going to love it because it has to do with our favorite monsters ever. <laughs> so here we go. Hicks, the clone undergoing ceramorphosis, has his back turned to Simeon and Raphael, resigned to his fate. Simeon looks to Raphael as the closest kind of kin they have. How should we help him? Raphael weighs the risks of another illithid loose in the lab. He could be ready to cut him down if he turned like Dorovar, but not if there's a chance he could be cured. Simeon has no knowledge of the process, but if it's like a parasite, then he could be able to remove it through the powers of greater restoration. With Raph's blessing, Simeon reaches out to Kix and casts the restorative magic through the clone. Kix screams in pain and his eye weeps with destroyed dark matter of the tadpole that had infected his brain. Raphael tends to the cured clone and takes him back upstairs to join the other clones. While Elmorn and the others initially reject him, Raph is able to persuade them that Kix is cured. Raven, finally free of the cloning pod trap, sees the importance of the clone's safety to Raphael and offers to protect them. As Raphael heads back down, he and Simeon hear a loud crackle and groans of pain as they rush to arrive at the aftermath of Anessa triggering a trap in the library. Unsure what else lies below, the party prepare themselves fully for battle. Orlando uses the downed blades of the clone guards to fabricate new bullets. Anessa shares around a healing spirit, while Simeon leads with another prayer of healing. In the final moments of their preparation, Simeon conjures a celestial the coatl that had fought beside them previously against the illithid in the Underdark. Zenny wreathes protective divination magic over the party, creating a fortress around their intellect against the inevitable psychic onslaught they will face. 
Anessa and Raphael lead on into the tunnel behind the secret door, just as they pass through the entrance down in the dark below. Anessa spots a body on the floor. Raphael inspects it and recognizes it as the Mind Flayer warlock that had escaped with Carcamath. Its body lays dead on the ground, the flesh hole sunken in as if the life had been drained from it. It appears the unbroken weren't the only ones that had taken the time to heal. As they turn the corner in their minds, they telepathically hear, You are not welcomed here. There, before them, in the center of this small, flesh-covered cavern, stands the freshly healed Eulithrid Carcamath, and behind him, a huge, ancient elder brain. Arthur makes the first move, evoking a dim green, sickening radiance around the two aberrations. Orlando and the Coatl cover the party with their protective blessings. The Eulithrid clones Arthur's spell and covers the party in kind with their own sickening radiance. But before the copied radiance can sap the party, Simeon dispels the exhausting green light. Anessa and Orlando volley into the Eulithrid, and the corrupted clone tries to dominate the gnome to their cause, but his mind resists the controlling thoughts to gun down his friends. Zenny hurls a chromatic orb of lightning into the Eulithrid, who's already worn down with the initial attack. The wounded clone spreads a sphere of maddening darkness over the unbroken and retreats to the back of the cavern to protect themselves. Raphael resists the darkness's shrieks, gibbering, and mad laughter that harasses his mind. Aiming a cone of cold through the dark to freeze the wet flesh around the ancient brain and the Eulithrid. Arthur and Zenny manage to hold their thoughts through the demented darkness, but find the spell too powerful to dispel. The ancient elder brain reaches into Arthur's mind and uses the psychic link to break his connection on the sickening light that was slowly sapping it. The Coatl tries to come to the party's aid, but history repeats itself, as it's soon dispelled through the brain's psychic link breaking Simeon's con concentration on the celestial. In the continual battle of casting, copying, and countering, Simeon returns the favor and restores unmolesting light to the cavern by dispelling the maddling, maddening darkness. Now, with a clear target of the cowering Eulithrid, Raphael finds his original quarry and fells the tentacled clone with his eldritch blasts. Despite knowing it wasn't the real Carcamath, there's a brief moment of catharsis for the winter night in killing him. A wave of psychic panic erupts from the ancient elder brain as its main protector is destroyed, which overwhelms Zenny's concentration on intellect fortress, leaving the unbroken's minds defenseless. Suddenly, the floor around the parties begins to move and form into several mindless spawn made of clone flesh that come to their mastermind's defense. Clone fresh, also available at a <laughs> shelf near you. The huge brain's tentacles reach out of the nearest threat of Anessa and grapple her in their psychically stinging embrace. Zenny's hands twist in a circular motion and the air in the cavern begins to churn and howl into a whirlwind that batters the brain and splats the mindless spawn against the walls. Simeon summons his spirit guardians on top of the brain. The radiant burns of the spirits weaken the ancient elder even further. Assailed on all sides, the bulbous brain unleashes the full, furious power of its mind through a psychic scream. Ninth level spell. The psychic assault ruptures through the party's unprotected minds. Arthur exhausts himself to converge the future into one where he resists the worst of the wave. Orlando's trigger fingers are stunned and Anessa is knocked unconscious. The limp drow ranger's body convulses with the tentacle sting and is then thrown to the ground with a heavy thud. 
Zenny rushes to her aid, but finds her friends dead on the floor, blood and brain fluid pouring out of her eyes, ears, and nose. The horrors of Inessa's last death by the vampires flashes through Zenny's mind. With final insult to injury, the ancient elder brain clones Simeon's spirit guardians and lays their own necrotic version over the party. The battle has reached the point of no return. It's whoever dies last that wins. Raphael calls on the exalted power of Frostweaver to become the Avatar of Winter, renewing their fading flesh with the hard frost of winter and volleys the brain with blasts of his own eldritch magic. Before the ancient elder can act, Arthur banishes it into the labyrinthine demiplane, buying some precious holding time with a powerful maze spell. The unbroken prepare themselves for when the brain returns to unleash a retributive counterattack. Zenny positions the bludgeoning whirlwind right on top of the ancient elder as it returns. The weary brain pulls on its legendary resolve to resist the unbroken's ambush and dispels the whirlwind and spirit guardians. The bleeding brain sluggishly moves its tentacles to cast another spell, one which Zenny has seen and heard before from the party's previous aberrant encounter. Zenny, fueled with the tempestuous rage of seeing her friend die, pulls on the highest circle of her magic to counterspell the brain's attempt to plane shift. With the brain stranded, there's only one way this could end for it. Arthur speeds the flow of time around the sluggish Orlando coming out of his psychic stun. He reloads faster than the speed of thought. You've been in all of our thoughts. Now you're in my prayers. <laughs> the radiant bullet blasts right through the center of the brain and blows a large hole right out of the back of its mucus-covered membrane, raining chunks of matter over Raphael and Simeon nearby. The ancient elder brain is dead, but so is Anessa. Dot, dot, dot. Christ. That's <laughs> impressive. That what, like a a, what, a, what a wonderful <laughs> account of a battle. That's... that's... Yeah. That's so impressive. Like step to, by to step. write all that out. Yes, yeah, step yeah. by step. I couldn't even I can't even begin to try and remember what I had for breakfast, let alone it kind of reads to me as someone having written it while it was happening or at least taking notes and yeah, then maybe publishing yeah. it later. Well, I have to find that, out. That's a way to do it, yeah. Face <laughs> when you hear this, when I'm sure you will eventually cut around to listen to this episode. If you do, please let us know how that uh how they do it? How will they do it? Um, pretty epic though. Incredible, yeah, really yeah. incredible. So, um, cool. So, James, is, is there any horror stories from this week at all? Uh, no horror stories. I've just got a yeah. a tale from the table. Um, from, oh yeah, uh, that's right. From your from your Wednesday group. Yeah, sweet. Uh, Spectarium. Uh, just Spectarium game. Um, just one of my favorite quotes. Um. Of, uh -huh. of probably some of some of some of any of the games that I've run is just um, they have turned up to a fancy gala having been assigned to steal this this stone at the museum. Nice. Um, nice. And our Owlin Owlin Rogue um, has been offered our Owlin Rogue Nanus has been offered a plate of uh, expensive canapes and mm. distastefully looking at it just turns to the waiter and says. I'm not eating that garbage. I'm all full of rats. Um, <laughs> which is said from the end previously, right? Yeah, just from the uh... end previously. Just uh, <laughs> so <laughs> there's a lot of like little great moments uh, from the game I wanted to, to highlight. So there was um, our Dragonborn Paladin Tursus um, chatting up the 
museum curator and getting a, a tour of the attic uh, out of bounds, which he needed to do um, because previously the Owlin Rogue had tried to get over, you know, those little red rope barriers they put up in fancy places to stop you going mm-hmm. in areas. Yep. Yeah, he tripped over that um, trying to sneak up the stairs, <laughs> uh, alerting all the guards. Stanchions, you know. Stanchions. Oh, okay. <laughs> I learned something new every day. <laughs> there you go. Learn that doing marketing events. <laughs> uh, thus, thus finding uh, some extra treasure and allowing uh, the party to get up there and lockpick the entrance to the to the roof. Um, we nice. had our our half elf bard Safseris um, playing a lovely cover of WAP to entertain the, uh, oh the museum guests while while the rogue broke into the offices uh, <laughs> and, and stole uh, stole museum key cards um and then as a final uh, last ditch attempt to distract um some more guards um our azamar um artificer sevi um ate so many um oysters um that and they were magical oysters that were sort of glowing um so when i was told how many they'd eaten i was like okay yeah that's gonna <laughs> every time you open your mouth it shines like a light um so eventually she decided that well it's made me sick eating this many oysters so i'm going to go to the bathroom and get one of the guard drag one of the guards away uh to help me with this horrible seafood poison i've had Uh, and also she needed to vomit the oysters up because they were just obviously glowing inside her and as they were trying to sneak through a museum later that night uh, decided that probably wouldn't be ideal if every time Anytime she, she mouth, talks, <laughs> it's like a torch in the middle just, of a hallway. It flashes <laughs> up. <laughs> uh, yep. Yeah. Uh, and then uh, we had our tiefling warlock, Rook, who um, made um, friends with uh, a lovely guard, William, um, um, who unfortunately later that evening, once they'd stolen the stone, the stone had this horrible eldritch effect it was giving off. And as they snuck, they were sneaking out with it, the eldritch powers inhabited the body of a animatronic Allosaurus um, that then yes. unfortunately tore William in half. <laughs> uh, <laughs> Not the guard! They were given the choice. They would, do you want to go and help the remaining guards deal with this now alive animatronic? And they sort of looked around and were like, it's not really our problem. We're just here to to steal the egg, and it's a really good distraction. So I zipped on down to the, straight to the basement to escape. Brilliant. <laughs> Leaving oh, no. this Allosaurus rampaging upstairs. Um, <laughs> <laughs> and then we had <laughs> our great great human cleric um, who was playing as um, as Toast, um, Matt Berry, uh, Matt Berry's character from Toast. Oh, of <laughs> Oh, uh, oh, I've never seen that. So just just dropping uh, quotes all evening. It was it was great fun. Everyone That's worked great. really well together. And I think Toast was the only one who was injured in the final battle with a mimic that they sprang to life as they were trying to leave through the basement of the museum. Nice. These are. <laughs> was this a level one adventure? Yep. Holy! Yes, oh, great. You got an animatronic going. Allosaurus mimics mm. guards. This is pretty intense. Yeah. It's pretty cool. Yeah, my party ended yeah. up fighting a bunch of uh, so gnolls. They're they're doing my campaign secrets of the Fey, which eventually will well very very quickly will take them to the Fey Wild. But they're right now um, at the foot of a an elven temple that they could only reveal 
uh, by moonlight. And once they revealed that they had to sort of find the secret entrance, but they were accosted first by a pack of gnolls, which they summarily dispatched because gnolls are not level one enemies. I scaled them down a little bit, but I was still going to be like, this, this is going to be a tough encounter. But they said they were all experienced in D&D, so I kind of relied on that. And they did. They, they did pretty well. Nobody right. was knocked unconscious. Um, I didn't have to flub many rolls. <laughs> um, but it was... It was not bad. And so now they're in the undercroft of the temple looking for an ancient elven artifact, which will change the fate of the world as we know it. So, oh, my, yeah. my, my party has been cool. asked if they wouldn't mind robbing a casino for, for their yeah. old friend. <laughs> we should, um, you know what we should do, James? We should have weird glitches in the multiverse where these parties accidentally meet each other at one point yeah, or cool. like you know they they just kind of share a weird experience like for one session they're in suddenly in the Feywild and for one you know they're doing keys from the Golden Vault Adventures or they're on <laughs> Faerun doing something or whatever that would yes. be really cool yeah, yeah. that would be cool little transition cool. but yeah thanks to the Spectarian team they were all around good players good yeah, stuff. yeah they're all great well yeah Thanks, guys. I think that's uh, we got an hour and twenty-four. Not bad. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. nice long one. Yeah, we need to get some guests in next time. I think. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We really, we re we keep saying it. We got to make it happen. I know we do. <laughs> yeah, we do. Yeah. All right. Cool. Well, um, thanks a lot, everyone. And uh, yeah, tune in next week for next week's episode. That's right. See you Take guys. Take care, then. everyone. Goodbye. Bye. 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 -bye.